Hey, and welcome to this podcast by Chestnut Mountain Church, located in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where our mission is to saturate the world by making disciples. We invite you to check out our website at chestnutmountain.org and follow us on social on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at chestnutmtn underscore to learn more about who we are. There are also video episodes located on our YouTube channel, along with other content not on this podcast. This episode features a sermon replay from Sunday's message. Let's take a listen. If you've been reading ahead in the book of Malachi, if this is your first Sunday here, we've just been walking through the book of Malachi. And if you've been reading ahead, um, you are super, super, super excited about this morning. And if you're not laughing right now, that means you're not reading. So um, that joke fell good in the first, but not in this one. Um, And when I say that you're excited about what we're gonna be looking at today, I say that with complete sarcasm. Because what we're gonna be addressing today tends to be a little personal and kind of in your face because when we talk about sarcasm, we know that that's what we've seen all through the children of Israel in the book of Malachi. Malachi the prophet has had the opportunity to call out the children for disobedience, for, for call out, calling them out for, for the neglection that they have brought to God's house, that they're neglecting their relationship with the Lord. And so every time that they're called out, they have some sarcastic response in rebuttal to what Malachi the prophet says. So today is no different. We're gonna hear sarcasm once again. I want you to flip to Malachi chapter three and we're gonna read verse seven. Verse seven is not where we're gonna really be coming from today for the most part, but that's where we're gonna start um, and you'll see why in just a moment. But in Malachi chapter three, I'm gonna read part of verse seven and then we'll end it as we break it up into two halves and read the, the back half of it in a minute. But Malachi chapter three, verse seven, Malachi the prophet says to the children, he says this, From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and you have not kept them. Listen to what God says to the children of Israel. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Now keep in mind that this statement that God makes through the prophet Malachi, he says, Return to me and I will return to you. If you remember, if you've been following along, if you know nothing about it, the children of Israel have got a track record of disobedience. They've got a track record of living in this rut of religion, living in this rut of disobedience, living in this rut of just not acknowledging the fact that they are a child of the most high God. And so their track record is that of disobedience. But what we hear right immediately from this verse is we hear the heart of a loving father to his wandering children. The heart of the loving father says, return to me and I will return to you. This is an invitation for his children to come home. They've stuck in this this idea of disobedience. They're jumping through. Remember, we've talked about it the last few weeks. They're jumping through the hoops of religion. They're jumping through the hoops of just doing church. And God says, hey, you need to return to me. You're my child and I'm calling you back home. Now, what we can learn from that is when he calls them to return, 
that lets us know that they've got to come back to where they started. So what that lets us know is that they have wandered away from where they began. And so he's saying, hey, come back to where you started. And then where they started was in fellowship with the heavenly father. He's saying, hey, just come home. But the beauty of God's grace and mercy, he invited them back home while they were living in disobedience. He invited them back home while they were still living in their sin and their rejection of him. So God is calling them back home even though they have voluntarily wandered away from the loving father. And so, you know, when we look at that, I don't know about you, but we could just stop right here. Matter of fact, Jared and I had a conversation this week. He said, where are you going this week? And I said, well, we could really just preach verse seven and just give an invitation. Because I know as a child of God, I've been saved by his grace. I've been saved by his mercy. I've trusted him for the forgiveness of my sins. But what I also know that even as a child of God, I have wandered away from God. I have fallen into my own ruts of sin. I have fallen into my own ruts of disobedience. But I stand before you today thanking God that even in spite of my sin, in spite of my disobedience, my loving father always invites me to return back home. And if you're a child of God in this room today, maybe you've wandered. Maybe you're in that ditch of disobedience. You need to stop right now and be reminded that once you're a child of God, the heavenly father is always going to call you to return home. And so, you know what? We'll just give an invitation now. We'll just call it a day, right? Some of you are going, yeah, praise God. <laughs> no, we're not gonna stop now. But this sets the tone of what we're gonna be looking at for the rest of the day today. Because he invites the children of God, he invites them back home, even in spite of their disobedience. And man, that is so, we should be so thankful that the, that the loving heavenly father never gives up on his child. He always calls us to return home. So no matter how far you've wandered this morning, you need to hear that. And maybe that's all you need to hear today is that the father's calling you home. He's saying, return to me and I will return to you. But now here's that element of sarcasm that the children of Israel are, are known for. The loving father invites them to return home and look at their response at the end of verse seven. But you say, how shall we return? There's a lot of sarcasm in that statement because you remember last week we talked about, we love when our children are sarcastic. Every time I say, Brock, Andy or Cooper, they, oh, what now? What now? Well, that's ultimately what the children of Israel are saying here. God is telling them, return home, return to me and I'll return to you. And it's as if the children of Israel are going, what in the world is he talking about now? What is he talking about now? God, why are you telling us to return? Because it appears to us that we've never gone anywhere. Because remember, they're checking all the boxes. They're bringing an offering. They're coming to the temple they're doing all of the things that a, a Christian or a child of God would be doing. So in their minds, they're going, why is the world, why in the world is God calling us to come home? Because it appears that we've never gone anywhere. We're still doing everything that we're supposed to do as a Christian. 
So why in the world, God, are you calling us home? And what we learn from that is the children of Israel are blinded to their disobedience. They are stuck so far in this ditch of religion that they don't even realize that their religious acts have nothing to do with the relationship to the father who loves them and that delivered them from the bondage. They have forgotten what they're doing. Remember, we talked about that too. They're so focused on the what, they have forgotten the why. And so we hear here that they just continue to say, God, what are you talking about? We're still doing this, we're still doing that. So what do you mean that we need to return to you? Don't you love the, the, the blunt responses from God at times? How many of you have ever asked God something and he absolutely just knocks you upside the jaw as to your answer? Sometimes you're, man, I wish I had not answered that because he just told me the truth and it hurts. Look at verse eight and nine. They say, how in the world can we return to you if we've not gone anywhere? What are you talking about, God? Verse eight, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, there's sarcasm again. How have we robbed you? And there's the blunt answer. In your tithe and offering. You are cursed with a curse. For you are robbing me the whole nation of you. So they ask God a question. God, what do you mean we need to return to you? He says, okay, if you really wanna know, you're robbing me. We're ro- what do you mean we're robbing you? You're robbing me of your tithe and offering. Now I know some of you are gonna, oh, okay, this is why he was sarcastic in that we should be excited about today if we will truly grasp what's going on here, and as a follower of Christ, you will get excited about what we're gonna share this morning because it's biblical. It is God breathed and this is what he is saying, not me. This is what the word of God is saying. But he says, you have robbed me. You've robbed me of your tithe and offering. And because of that, you are cursed with a curse. So you've done this and here's what's going on. And if you remember, I love this. He's just so bold, he said, And it's not just some of you, it's all of you, the whole nation. You've robbed me of your tithe and offering. But what we see here is that, remember they're walking through some difficult seasons. Remember they're whining, they're complaining, they're blaming God for everything. But what we see here is God saying, hey, you're robbing me. You're called to be obedient. And you as my child are not being obedient. And so he talks about that they're not being obedient in their tithe and their offering. Because you see, they were commanded in Old Testament scripture to bring a tithe, which tithe defined means 10% of everything they owned. So as they would come to the temple for worship, as they would come to the temple to to bring their offering, they were to bring 10% of everything they owned. They were to bring 10% of everything, their grain, their fruit, their meat, their finances. And as a child of God, when they were obedient with that, then what happened was, here's, here's what it was used for. That tithe and that offering was used to, to pay the priest, It was used to care for the temple. It was also used to provide for the widows and the orphans and the poor. And so if the children of Israel were obedient, what it allowed the church to do was minister to the community. 
was to minister to those that were outside the temple. It was to be a provider, to, to be able to minister to the community. And so this offering funded the ministry, if you would. But here's where we gotta be so careful. Obedience not only funded the ministry, but it was a way for a child of God to say thank you. It was a way for a child of God to worship. And if you remember, we talked about that word worship a few weeks ago. Worship defined is that we put on display what is worth something. So when a child of God would bring an offering and they would, they would trust God with, with what they had, this was a way for them to say, thank you, God, because you have delivered us. You have set us free from the bondage of Egypt. And God, this is the least we can do is to say thank you as we are giving you back what you've asked us to do. But you see, the children of Israel, what was worth a little bit more than their freedom was their comfort. And what I mean by that is they were holding back. They were robbing God. They were not giving God what was his because they thought just a little bit too highly of themselves. Because remember, they're in a tough time. The economy's struggling. Things around them are falling apart. And so what they began to do is they began to trust themselves more than they trusted God. And they said, you know what? I don't know that God, you can take care of me. So God, therefore, I'm gonna take it upon myself to provide for me. But you see, they forgot what the psalmist wrote. I want you to flip to Psalms chapter 89. Psalms chapter 89, verse 11. And this reminds us of who possesses everything. Who possesses everything that you own, that I own, that the children of Israel owns. But in Psalms chapter 89, verse 11, it says the heavens are yours. The earth is also yours. The world and all it contains you have founded them. All it contains, you know what all means in Hebrew? All is all that all means. It ain't rocket science. So all that the earth contains, guess who owns it? It's not you. It's not the children of Israel. Everything that the world and earth possesses is all owned by God who created it. All of it. But the children of Israel have forgotten that. They have forgotten that 100% of everything they have is not theirs. They have forgotten that 100% of what they possess is owned by God. And all God commands them to do according to the Old Testament scripture is to give back 10%. To give back the tithe. But you see, they forgot that God not only did he just ask for 10 but he's going to let him keep 90 he's going to let him keep 90% because remember all 100 is his all he's asking is to be open handed with 10% of what God has given them but then withholding that is them ultimately saying you know what God things are tough right now our crops are dying, the economy's tanking, 
And so God, I don't know that I can afford to give you 10%. I don't know that I can afford to give you what you've commanded me to give you. And so therefore, God, I don't really trust you, so I'm only gonna give you a little bit because I don't believe that you can provide, so therefore, I'm gonna depend on myself to provide for me. Can I tell you, church, the day that we begin to start to think that we provide for ourselves, you're in trouble because everything you have, everything he has given you is his. It is on loan to you. Everything, everything from the shirt on your back to the stitch of grass in your front yard, you don't own it. It's his. He created it, therefore it is his. But church, we can't forget that like the children of Israel has. They have forgotten who their provider is. They have forgotten that 100% of what they have is owned by God. And really all God wants, he just wants the children to recognize that. He just wants his children to recognize, you know what? If it wasn't for my father, I would have nothing. If it wasn't for God, I would not have anything. So he just wants his children to acknowledge who the provider is. But he also, we gotta make sure that we understand this. He doesn't want 10% because he needs it. Remember, it's all his. If he wants the 10%, he can get the 10%. So you gotta understand that it's not that God wants the 10% because he needs it. But when the children of Israel would offer up 10%, it's also a way for them to acknowledge where they're getting the other 90% from. It's a way for them to say thank you. It's a way for them to say thank you, not only for setting us free, but also, God, you've given us everything we have. And if 10% is all you want, then here it is. I'm gonna give you what you have commanded But then he goes on in verses 10 through 12 to remind them of the covenant. Look with me in verses 10 through 12. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you blessings until it overflows, then I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 12, all the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Now what we see is kind of the the covenant unpacked. And maybe you're thinking, okay, well covenant, what is that really? What's he talking about here? I'll give you the definition of a covenant. A covenant is this, when two or more parties come together and they make a contract, agreeing on promises, stipulations, privileges, and responsibility. And so we see here that God is very clear on what the covenant is. If you do this, here's what I will do. If you are obedient, here's what I will do. And I want you to flip to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 28. 
It kind of unpacks it a little bit more, um, the idea of a covenant. And this is in line with the same covenant that he's talking about in the book of Malachi. But in, in Deuteronomy chapter 28, look at verse seven through nine. It says, blessed shall you be when you come in. And, or I'm sorry, that's verse six, verse seven. The Lord shall cause your enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before you. They will come out against you one way and they will flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessings upon you in your barns and all that you put in your hand too. And he will bless you in the land which is the Lord your God gives you. Verse nine. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself as he swore to you. Here's the catch. If you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and you walk in his ways. So God tells the children of Israel, here's what I'm going to do if you follow my commandments. That's how a covenant works. That's how a contract works. If we do this, here's what will happen. And that's what he's telling the children of Israel. He's saying, if you will be obedient with what I've commanded you to do, here's what I'm going to do. And then he unpacks all of that. He says, I'm gonna open up the heavens. He says, I'm opening up the windows of heaven. I'm pouring out blessings until they overflow. I'm gonna rebuke the devourer and you will be called blessed. But all of this has to do as a result of your obedience. This goes back two weeks ago. We made the statement through the scripture that God will not bless disobedience. Because remember the children of Israel, they're upset, they're weeping, they're mad, they're frustrated with God because they're living in sin, they're living in disobedience and they wonder why things continue to fall apart. Remember, God will not bless disobedience. But what we read according to this is, is he is willing to bless obedience. If his children are obedient, God will do what he says he's going to do. If we as his church are obedient, God will finish what he started. But you know, here's where we've gotta be very careful. And this is why it's so hard to talk about finances in the church, why it's so hard to talk about money in the church. Because I believe with everything in me, it is one of the most mistaught principles in the Bible that we, that we hear. Because where the children of Israel have to be careful is they can look at this covenant and they can see all that's gonna happen if they're obedient. So they look at that and they hear this list of things. Well, wait a minute. If I give what I'm supposed to give, that means that God's gonna open up the floors of heaven? That he's gonna pour out the blessings until they overflow? That means he's gonna kill all these locusts that are eating our crops? That means that I will be looked at as a blessed nation? Those children of Israel, they hear that list and they're going, man, sign me up for that. If I were to throw it out there this morning and say, hey, church, look, if you were obedient today with 10% of what you have, and if you could be promised that you wake up tomorrow morning, there's a million dollars in your checking account, who's not gonna sign up for that? Everybody in the room's going to. But where the children of Israel have to be careful is they don't wanna misinterpret what the principle here that God is trying to teach. He's not saying that if you do this, I'm gonna do this just so your life is easier. 
But he does say that I will bless obedience. I will not bless disobedience. Because if the children of Israel hear all of this stuff, they're gonna say, yes, sign me up. But if their motive behind it is I'll give so God will give me more, then you've missed it. And this is what we as the church need to understand. God doesn't need your money. God doesn't want your money. God wants the same thing he wants from the children of Israel and it's your heart. If you're here this morning and you say, well, Brian, I'll start giving as long as God gives me more. Can I tell you right now, just keep it. God don't need it. God don't want it because here's what I know as a New Testament church, God's already given us everything and giving his son, Jesus Christ, so that we can have eternal life. Would we continue to give financially if God never did anything else for us? Or is the only reason we give is to hope that we wake up tomorrow and we're blessed financially? If that's the case, church, you're missing it. And if the children of Israel are motivated to give just so that God will open up the floors of heaven, then church, they've missed it. The reason that they should wanna be giving is because they're reminded that God delivered them from bondage. God set them free. God gave them life and gave it everlasting. And that is why they give is just to simply say, thank you, God, for what you've already done. And I don't care if you ever do anything else for me. All God wants is for his children to recognize what he's already done. It has nothing to do with the money. And if they give with the motivation to get more from God, then they're not doing it to say, thank you. They're doing it to say, God, just give me more. God, just give me more. And if that's why we give, if that's why the children of Israel give, it's not a money issue. It's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. And here's how simple it is. You either trust him or you don't. You either trust him or you don't. And so it's so easy to talk about this from an Old Testament perspective. But what I want you to hear today is the heart of God has not changed. This still holds true for us as a New Testament church. We're gonna talk about being open-handed with what God has given us. We're gonna challenge you to give. We're gonna challenge you to be faithful, but it has nothing to do with the money. But it's got everything to do with your heart. It's got everything to do with your heart. When we give when we're faithful to what God has called us to do, it's a chance for us to exercise our faith. It's a chance for us to worship. But the beauty of it is, is it's not just an opportunity for us to exercise faith and for us to worship, but it also gives God the platform to prove his faithfulness time and time and time again. But church, we've got to step out on faith in order for God to prove his faithfulness. We've got to step out on what he's commanding us to do, even when it doesn't make sense. But it's an opportunity for us to worship. You know, the psalmist wrote about everything is God's. He owns it all. He's created it all. It's also mentioned in the New Testament. I want you to flip to the book of Acts. 
Acts chapter 17. And this just reemphasizes to the New Testament church, the very same thing that was written in the Old Testament, just to remind them again. And I wanna read it today to remind us the God, verses 24 and 25, I'm sorry. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. You see, God does that. God is the giver of life. God is the giver of all things. But once we realize that what we have is his, then we realize the responsibility that comes along with it. Because God has given it, Trusting that we will steward that. You say, well, steward, what, what, what does that really mean? Steward, that, that's one of those church words that, that is always mentioned when you talk about money. That we're supposed to steward this. Very simple. To steward something means that you're the manager of it. You're the manager of your home. You're the manager of your account. You're the manager of your resources. You're the manager of that. Because God has given it to you and he's trusting you to manage it. But the reason that he's trusted you to manage it is from a biblical perspective. Are we managing our checkbook based off the urgency that Christ is coming back? And we don't know when. Are we using our resources with urgency and realizing this is what God has given us and we've been given this so that we can use it to transform the world? That's why God has given us, no matter how little it is, no matter how much it is. Because remember, it's not about the money. What God wants is his children to surrender their heart. It's about the heart. And I know that for all of us biblical scholars, we all say, well, Brian, you're talking about Malachi. Talk about the tithe and offering in Malachi. That's, that's Old Testament. We're no longer married to Old Testament law, right? That's the very thing that we've been set free from. So, so God doesn't really want my 10%. Eh, I wanna read to you Malachi chapter three, verse six. For I, the Lord, do not change. I don't change. And you know, we can love to celebrate this idea of not changing when it comes to salvation when it comes to him providing for us, we love to celebrate the, the fact that he doesn't change in his love for us. But boy, we also like to forget about the fact that he doesn't change when he wants all that we have. Because remember, it's not about the money. He just wants all your heart. And when he's got all our heart, it will affect our resources. It will because it's about surrender. And so we read that and we, we think of it, we love to celebrate that he doesn't change. But what he doesn't change is that he simply still wants us just to bring our best. He doesn't want our leftover worship. He doesn't want what's just convenient to us. He wants all that we are. 
And you know why it's okay for him to ask for all that we are? Because he gave all that he was. That's the sign of a true leader. A true leader is never gonna ask you to do something that they weren't willing to do themselves. So God's never gonna ask us to give everything and not do it himself. He gave his only son. What more could you give? And so he's asking us to show that we love him and thank him for that in our obedience. So God never changes. So what I want us to do is I want us to flip to 2 Corinthians. And what you have to understand about the Corinthian church was they had made a covenant. They had made a covenant to take care of their community. They had made a covenant to take care of the poor, to take care of the widows. And Paul is coming to remind them of their promise to remind them of their commitment as a church. And so here's what he says here. And we're just gonna kind of walk through this scripture for just a minute. And we're just gonna kind of unpack it as we read through it. But in 2 Corinthians chapter nine, verses six through 15, this is something that we can hear and listen to with the heart of giving, with the heart of generosity and the heart of, of letting go with what God has given us. He's reminding them of the commitment they have made. And now remember, we've all made a commitment to God, whether you realize it or not. When you were saved, you committed your whole life to him. You said, God, I'm entrusting you with my eternity. So you've made a commitment. Not only did he give his all, but in your return, you're saying, because you gave your all, God, I'm committing to give you my all. And so this is the reminder that we need to hear this morning is that we've all made a commitment to bring our best. And so Paul challenges the church of Corinth to do this. In verse six, he says, Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart. Why do we give? Why are we open-handed with what God has given us? Why have we purposed what we're giving? Is it so that we get more from God or is it just so that we can say thank you for what he's already done? We've got to get to the bottom line of what is the purpose of us doing what we're doing? And he's reminding them that, why are you doing it? Because God doesn't want us, keep reading, not grudgingly or under compulsion for God loves the cheerful giver. We don't even have to unpack that one. That one speaks for itself. Verse eight, and God is able to make grace abound to you so that it always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good work or every good deed as it is written. He scattered abroad. He gave it to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Verse 10, Now he who supplies the seed to the sower. Stop right there. He supplies the seed to the sower. You have seed. Guess who's given it to you? God has. And the reason that he's given you the seed that you have is so that you will sow it and sow it obediently. Sow it abundantly. Because I can tell you right now, if somebody gives me a handful of grass seed, I can plow up the front yard, but if I hold on to the grass seed in my hand and I don't ever sow it, is any growth ever gonna come? No, 
The sower is gonna give me the seed, trusting me to let go of it and to spread it so therefore the growth will come. My only job is to let go of the seed that I'm holding in my hand. And so, but we need to be reminded the very reason, the only reason we have the seed in our hand is because God gave it to you. But God gave it to you, wanting you to let go of it. God gave it to you, wanting you to let go of it. Keep reading verse 11, or rest of verse 10. He supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. The more you give away, the more God's gonna give you because he's seeing that he can trust you with it and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. Do you see when we're open-handed with what God has given us, it produces thanksgiving to God? That when we let go of things and we bless people, people then in return and they thank God for it. They thank God for what he's provided. Verse 11, you will be enriched in everything for us, all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. We just wanted to read that one again. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. I wanna stop right there because this is very important. If we're obedient, if we as a body of believers here at Chestnut Mountain Church are faithful in what we bring to the storehouse, we hear a promise from God that, he, that Paul is sharing with the church at Corinth, that if you will be obedient, I won't just bless the house, but I will overflow it so that it impacts outside the church walls so that it takes care of the community around us. And here's what I am so thankful to be able to share with you this morning. I don't know if many of you pay our budget much of attention or you really look at it a whole lot. But if we look back at 2020, this is something myself and the, the team, and we, we got very burdened when we looked at this because we talk about 10%. We talk about letting go, being tithers of what God has given us. I also believe with everything in me that holds true to the church. And we as a church can't ask you to do something that this body is not willing to do because we're one body, right? We're one body. And so if we're asking you to be open-handed with what you have, then we as a church have gotta be open-handed because we gotta be open-handed with what you're open-handed with. So when you look back at our missions and evangelism and outreach in 2020, 4% of our budget went outside the walls of the church. 4%. And when I read that church, I got very burdened. And I said, God, you've called us higher. You've called us to more. You've called us to be obedient. If we're gonna ask the people of the church to be obedient, then we've gotta be obedient. And so thanks be unto God because of your faithfulness, because of your stewardship. For 2021, we are giving away 10% of our budget. We are open-handed with 10% of what God has given us. And you can look at our budget and see, our budget's about $1.8 million and we are letting go $180,000 of that to be outside the walls because God's taking care of the inside but he's taking care of the inside, so now we can let go of it. 
And the more he keeps sending, the more we got to keep letting go of. So I don't expect it to stop at 10%. Because we want to keep being obedient with what God has given us. Because remember, it produces thanksgiving to God. We're not doing it so Chestnut Mountain Church gets praised. We're doing it so the kingdom, so he gets praised as the provider. Sorry, I didn't mean to spend so much time there. Keep reading. Verse 13. Because of the proof given in the ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience. That's what we just said. To your confession of the gospel of Christ and for all liberality of your contribution to them and to all. While also by prayer on your behalf, they yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. You see, the more we're obedient as a church, the more a lost world will yearn for the church. The more we'll open up their eyes to the grace and the forgiveness and the love of God that they may not fully understand. But we've got an opportunity to be that in our community. And church, the reality is this. It's very simple. If we're obedient and we are faithful, we will see growth. If we're obedient and we are faithful, we will see growth. But here's where you have to be so careful. Why do we give? Well, Brian, you say if I give, we'll see growth. And you know, my checking account could use some growth. That's not the growth we're talking about. The growth we're talking about is growth in the kingdom. When we're obedient, the growth that we should desire to see is growth in the kingdom. We should celebrate every new life in Christ. So don't give hoping that you hope there's another zero in your checking account. You may not see any direct result of your checking account being extremely growing. I don't even know if that, that was terrible English. <laughs> but what I can tell you is that if we are faithful and we give, the kingdom will grow. It's a promise from the word of God. Remember the covenant, if we're obedient, this is what he will do. He never says, if you're obedient, I will give you more money in your pocket. If you're obedient, my kingdom will grow. My kingdom will grow. Because I don't know if you realize this, church. But now here we stand and we've exceeded about, I don't know, 120 baptisms for 2021. If you're a faithful steward of what God has given you, that's a result of your faithfulness. Every person that steps in that water Every Zane that steps in that water is a direct result of you being obedient. And that changes lives in church. That's what ought to motivate us to give every week when we see lives being changed. Because of your stewardship, because of you being faithful, we were able to adopt 24 COVID orphans in India who now hear the gospel every single day because of your obedience. Because of your obedience, there's people that come on this campus every week. There's people from this church that are delivering food all over this community to give food to people who may not have it otherwise. That's because of your faithfulness. Because of your faithfulness, 
We are now supporting two other churches every month financially. You say, what? You're letting our money go to other churches? It ain't ours. And the more God gives, the more God's gonna expect us to let go of it. So we get to send money to other churches so that those churches too thrive, so that those churches too see this growth that we get to see every single week. We give, and, and look, here's another thing. I got a picture on Thursday that I was so overwhelmed with thankfulness for you that I was led to tears. I get a picture from a local elementary school of fourth and fifth graders of children who are laying in the gym floor before school with the word of God opened up on the floor and every child had a Bible. And guess what? You bought it. You purchased it. And so I sat and I saw these pictures of all these little kids with the word of God. And you say, well, Brian, that's not that big a deal. Yeah, it is. I was there three weeks ago and AJ was sharing and, and AJ had him raise their hand. He said, how many of you have ever heard of the story of David and Goliath? Out of 40 some odd kids, two kids raised their hand. They don't know the word. But church, without the word, there's no life. But because of your faithfulness, we are able to put the word of God in these kids' hands and this is what will change their life but it's all a result of you being faithful with what God has given you. What would it look like if we provided Bibles for every elementary school kid in the county? It can happen if we would be obedient. Another thing that I would love to share because of your faithfulness. And look, y'all know me. God's done a heart change in me all week. I don't like to talk about money. I love it because it's biblical. It's what God has called us to because it has nothing to do with the money, but it's got everything to do with obedience. And my job as your pastor is to call you to obedience, to call you to faithfulness. But you know, we always talk about what we owe on the building, how much debt we have. And you know, we always say we've got, we've got a debt reduction plan. Because of your faithfulness, here's what I want you to hear this morning. We no longer have a debt reduction plan, but we now have a debt elimination plan. Praise God. There's coming a day that we're gonna, here's, oh. there's coming a day when Chestnut Mountain Church is gonna let go of more money than we keep. We're gonna let go of more money than we keep in this house to operate. Because you've heard me say it once and I'll say it again, we're not gonna build up anymore, we're just gonna build out. So church, because of your faithfulness, these are things that we're getting to do. But you know, you're right. New Testament doesn't say 10% but I serve a God who doesn't change. And the God who doesn't change, he just wants our best. He just wants our best. 
And you know, for some of us, 10% may not be our best. I want you to flip to 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and we're closing, I promise. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. You say, well, Brian, I've never given. I, this is all a foreign concept. This is all a stretch to me. If it's a stretch to you and this is a painful conversation, can I tell you that's probably the evidence that it is exactly from the mouth of God? Because God's always gonna cause us to be uncomfortable. He's always gonna call us to a higher place because remember, when we're faithful, he gets to prove his faithfulness. He gets to prove who he is. First Corinthians chapter 16, you may ask the question this morning, well, Brian, I, where do I start? Okay, I get it. I've been saved by the grace of God and I just wanna say thank you. I wanna say thank you to God. I want to say thank you to what he's done for me. And so God, if this is a way of doing it, then I'm all in. Paul reminds the church of Corinth. He gives them an outline of how we can begin to give, how we can start to give. And maybe that's you this morning. You go, well, Brian, I don't know where to start, so where in the heck do I start? 1 Corinthians chapter 16 is a great place to start. Paul reminds them, he says, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. So Paul's saying, this is not the first time I've shared this. I've shared this with other churches and it works. So now I'm gonna share this with you and it works. Verse two, on the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collection be made when I come. And when I arrive, whomever you may approve, I will send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it is fitting for me to go also, they will go with me. So there's four principles, five principles that we can take from this passage. You say, well, I don't know where to start. The first place that you gotta start, and this is a word we don't like to talk about, is discipline. He says to give regularly, plan and save. And so that the first thing that we need to learn is that needs to be a spiritual discipline that we as his children are implementing in our life is we need to be disciplined in that because you notice he said that I don't wanna take a collection when I, I don't wanna get your collection just when I show up. You see what, what Paul was trying to, to keep them from doing was this, um, this sporadic giving, this giving based off of emotion or, uh-oh, sheriff's in town, so I gotta make sure I get my wallet out so it looks like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. He said, I don't wanna collect when I show up but I wanna collect what you've already been doing the entire time. So therefore, for us to be biblical stewards, we are called to be disciplined. We are called to do it regularly. But then you say, well, Brian, well, how much, how much is that? How much do I give? You give as is proportioned to you. You say, well, what does that mean? I don't know, but I tell you who does know, and it's God Almighty. When you wanna know what you're to give, why don't you ask the one who gave it to you to begin with? Because it's his anyway. God, I acknowledge everything I have is yours, so God, what would you have me give back? 
God, what would you have me give back? And if 10% is where you need to start, start there. But what I know is that if you acknowledge him, he will direct. That's a promise from the scripture. But here's what I also know. God has gifted some people. He's given you a whole lot of seed in your hand. He's given you a whole lot of seed. And the reason that he's given you a whole lot of seed is because he wants you to let go of a whole lot of seed. And I think you're, some of you are probably going, man, you all up in my business this morning. No, I'm not. That's between you and God. I'm all up in God's business because this is the word of God and this is what I am commanded to share. This is what I am commanded to call you to. I'm commanded to call you higher. We've got to get out of this mindset of just like the children of Israel. God, how little can I give and you be okay with it? If that's your prayer this morning, just keep it. And I know some of you going, no, don't tell them just to keep it. I want people to be obedient. God doesn't bless disobedience. So if we're not giving everything that he's calling us to be obedient with and your disobedience and giving a little bit, God's not gonna bless it. So that's the reason I don't want it. Not that I want it. I don't want it, period, but the kingdom does. But what will you be obedient with? So we see to be disciplined, to give regularly, to give as proportion to you. You know, I know there's a lot of young couples, a lot of gonna get married or newly married. You are now stewards. You're now managers or managers of what you have. Can I tell you the best place to start a marriage is on your knees, acknowledging that everything you do have and will have is of God. What a better place to start because you know what they say, right? As this older generation, as the older generation is called home, then the younger generation, they don't understand giving. They don't understand the discipline of being stewards with what God's given them. Let's call the world a liar. And let's young families, let's get obedient before an almighty God. Let's be obedient to be letting go of what God has given us. But when we do it, the last point that Paul makes, he encourages them to do it privately. He said, I'll deliver it. Don't give as an announcement so everybody knows what you give. It's between you and God. It has nothing to do with anybody else. And maybe this morning you need to start on your face and say, God, what does it look like? What does it look like for me to be faithful with what I have? Because remember, God only wants our best. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you made a decision or if you have any questions about salvation or anything about this Christian journey, one of our pastors would love to connect with you. So to connect and find out what your next steps are, go to our website at chestnutmountain.org slash next steps, and there will be a form for you to fill out so one of our pastors can connect with you. We also want you to do three things right now. Number one, leave a review on this podcast. Tell us what you think. And also, a review allows us to reach even more people. Number two, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already so you don't miss an episode during the week. 
And number three, we want you to go check out our Chestnut Mountain Church YouTube channel. So maybe there's some visuals in this episode that you couldn't see but wanted to see. And that's why we have video versions of these episodes along with other content not featured on this podcast right now on our YouTube channel. Lastly, we invite you to join us live for worship on Sunday mornings in person at 9 o'clock or 1045 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or online at 1045 as well. Learn more about us on our website at chestnutmountain.org. And don't forget to follow us on social at chestnutmtn underscore for more encouragement and to see all what God is doing in and through CMC. We love you, we're praying for you, and we'll see you next time.